Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Saturday, August 12th, 2023, the 934th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So, Yesterday, we talked about the two-tiered justice system and the range of unorthodox approaches that were being used by the regime in their pursuit of Donald Trump and through Donald Trump MAGA. They want to take out Trump so they can take out the MAGA movement, this populist movement that is threatening their grip on power. And I gave some examples about how they're not even really hiding it anymore. People have been noticing it for a while. They have been denying it for a while, but now they're kind of just beginning to feel comfortable with it and they are happy to own it. Jonah Goldberg talked about how small donors 
should not be part of the process. These small donations are just people using their credit cards to vent their spleen. They are just complaining with their money, with no forethought about the political impact that their political opinions might have. They don't realize that their political opinions are supposed to have zero impact. And instead, collectively, their political opinions are having a bigger impact than the political opinions of the large money donors. Jonah Goldberg knows how much of a threat to our democracy that is. And then we went through the New York Times op-ed arguing that true transparency in the Trump trials will be achieved not through showing the public the trials on television, but by showing them expert analysis of the trials on television so that they don't have to get bogged down in what actually happens. The people are too stupid to understand any of that, so they shouldn't have access to it. They shouldn't even be given the ability to try. Apparently, even the very, very smart ones. I mean, how many television lawyers can fit in the Trump courtroom? Probably not that many. Let's say a hundred. There's no way it's a hundred, but let's say it's a hundred. Let's give them a hundred. Well, what about all the rest of the lawyers around the country who might be able to understand what's going on in that trial? Or what about all those journalists out there who have been covering all the issues that come up in the trial? Where are they going to be? They're not going to be able to see the trials either. Everyone's just going to have to rely on what's said by a few people on cable television. That's all we will ever know of the first federal trial in America's history of a former president. And we're all supposed to say that's a okay. We don't even need to watch the trials. We already know Trump's guilty because we've been watching legal experts on cable news for Lo, these many years, and they have already made the case that Trump is guilty no matter what comes out at trial. Every standard issue villager knows that the only thing that can come from further informing themselves is the possibility that they might inadvertently be forced to change their minds, and they can't have that. Imagine what their friends would say. Imagine what their families would say. Imagine what their co-workers would say. The last thing you want to do in times like this is change your mind, especially if you've been wrong the whole time. Imagine how bad it would look if people knew that you were wrong this whole time. They might think you're stupid or evil. But fortunately, it's all up to you, smarty. If you don't tell them you were wrong, they are never going to know. So the best way to avoid everyone thinking that you're not very bright and might in fact be evil is to never, ever admit you were wrong. And hey, Kami, I get it. What does it even mean to be wrong? The people on TV still say that you're right and they're not allowed to lie. If they were lying, they wouldn't be allowed to continue reading the news. So just continue to trust them. It's gotten you this far. I'm sure things are going to work out fine. And besides, you don't have any choice. That's why it's not worth your time to inform yourself. Only bad can come from that. 
If you change your mind, even by accident, the whole thing could fall apart. So we talked about how the two-tiered system of justice was in pursuit of Donald Trump using these new and unorthodox methods, hoping to bring down Trump. And if you can bring down Trump, you can end the MAGA movement, the populist movement. The people will go back to sleep and you can continue on in power forever. Now, there are a great many people out there, including people who are partially or mostly awake, who think that this regime is invincible and they really are going hard after Donald Trump and they have a very strong chance of putting Donald Trump in prison. And even if the people vote for Donald Trump while he's in prison, the regime will steal the election and there will be no recourse whatsoever. And we will just have another four years of Joe Biden. Now, I don't know how people think that that is a possible future. People just think that the default state of things, the status quo right now, will continue forever, no matter what happens, apparently. And that's a hard thing to talk people out of, because we have seen over the past nearly three years now since the stolen election that things aren't the way they were before that. Even if you were to believe somehow that Joe Biden really did receive 81 million real lawful American votes and that he won that election. How can anyone make the argument that Joe Biden has grown more popular over that time, that more people have come to see Joe Biden as the right decision in 2020 and not Donald Trump? Things are not what they were back in that moment nearly three years ago. Now, I would suggest Donald Trump won that election by a lot. So we already had a majority back then. But even if you don't want to go down that road, you can still see that the American public has moved substantially in Donald Trump's direction. Now, you might say that the polls don't show it's that big. Well, first off, the polls do show significant movement. And the polls don't matter a whole lot right now because we're still 15 months away from the election that we will definitely have. There is a lot to change between now and then, and all of that will be moving in one direction. Trump's numbers and Trump's popularity have gone up after his indictments. Go ahead, televise a trial, convict Donald Trump for nothing. Watch him get more popular. The fact that that is possible means the regime is in an unrecoverable position. And just as a fun aside, there was a poll run on Twitter, now known as X, yesterday by an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez parody account. And it said, let's show the Republicans how it's done. Who are you voting for in 2024, Donald Trump or Joe Biden? In 24 hours, the poll amassed over 95,000 votes, and the results were Donald Trump 97.3% to Joe Biden 2.7%. Now, that is absolutely not some scientific poll, but in truth, pretending polls are scientific measurements in the first place is a bit silly. Obviously, we don't know who these people were who voted in this poll. We don't know where they're from. We can't say that they represent American voters or likely voters or registered voters or anything like that. But for the nearly 100,000 people that voted in this poll, 
almost all of them chose Donald Trump. That is pretty astounding. So they're going after Donald Trump with everything they've got. They want to stop Trump. They want to stop the people supporting Trump. They want everybody to shut up and go back to sleep so that they can maintain their grip on power forever. Well, today, let's talk about the other side of that equation. The regime is pursuing Trump, trying to take down Trump, trying to take down MAGA. They are also protecting themselves and trying to keep what they have done hidden from the American public. But it even goes further than that. Because what's happening in America is also happening worldwide, and they need to stifle it everywhere. The world is too interconnected now. People can see what's happening abroad and apply that to what is happening in their country and watch the patterns develop. And we're going to discuss some of that geopolitical stuff in the second half of the show. But on this interconnectedness, I was asked an interesting question in the comments on Substack about why I thought we had the internet. Wouldn't that have been a mistake by the regime to give us the internet? What were they thinking initially? And if I'm interpreting that question correctly, I think the answer is this. I think that they wanted the interconnectivity of the hive mind. I think they just thought that they would have control over it the whole time. If you really want to subjugate a people and keep them permanently under control, well, you're going to have to have them all thinking the same thing at once. And you're going to have to have all of those ideas continually reinforced. And I think George Orwell described this accurately in 1984. We know about the hive mind created by censorship and propaganda and social media. We know about the extensive tracking and monitoring, the surveillance state. We know they want to create an Internet of things and an Internet of bodies. They want everything to be interconnected so that everything can always be under control. They can turn things on and off whenever they want. If they decide that it's a hot summer and everyone is using too much energy, they change everyone's nest thermostat and make the minimum temperature 76 degrees, for instance, they have all your medical information on your app. They can prevent you from going to certain places. All of it can be done automatically at the push of a button. Everyone gets the same information from the same few channels. They have an illusion of choice, an illusion of the diversity of ideas. Think about how many people have been totally unable to understand the impact of censorship on social media even after years of knowing it exists. It's one thing to control all the objects at once. It's entirely different to control all the people at once. And to do that, you need them all believing the same things. So I imagine they figured the most effective way to do that was to have everyone interconnected and sharing information. If they were all sharing the same information and reinforcing the truth of that information, punishing anyone who dissents, well, then you can get everybody on the same page and have them doing what you want them to do. So I think that was their intent. And you can, I guess, imagine scenarios where that would have worked. Now, I think if I was going to have a long discussion about this or debate someone about it, I would lean more to the side of arguing that their plan would never have been successful and could never have been successful. 
I think they have multiple fundamental misunderstandings of human nature and that that presents unresolvable problems when they are attempting to figure out ways to control all of humanity at once. If you don't understand humanity, there's no way you're going to be able to get all of it to do what you say. And the truth is they have no ability to understand all of humanity because they are scientific materialists and don't even believe in the important factors that they would need to thoroughly accept and understand and incorporate in order to be successful at what they're doing. So I think they have a few problems. I think that they overestimate their own expertise, their own foresight and their own planning. I think that by and large, they are incompetent. They are generally the descendants of other people like them. Those other people further back in the family line worked harder than they did under harder conditions. And now what we are dealing with is a few generations down of descendants. And we're talking about a bunch of spoiled and entitled 'er ne'er-do-wells trying to complete the mission of their ancestors. But now with technology, I think that there's a strong chance that there are ghosts in the machine, so to speak, people in the midst of that system, messing it up so that it never actually achieves its ends. And I think it may just be that humans are a lot more intelligent and resourceful than anyone is ever given credit for. So I guess what I would say is they tried for something big and it simply didn't work. For whatever reason, their plan backfired and here we are interconnected and using their own weapons against them. So before we get into some of the regime corruption on Biden's behalf and then move that into geopolitics, I want to start with a couple interesting updates having to do with Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson. He was on Maria Bartiromo's show on Fox Business letting all of those interconnected people on the internet who have been sharing truths about COVID since early 2020 know that they were basically right about everything. I mean, it's, it's just extraordinary to me that, uh, you know, the government was working with social media to amplify lies and suppress truth and has been doing so repeatedly. Why couldn't the American people know that, you know, there were other alternatives to treat COVID? Why why can't the American people know that there were side effects with the vaccine? This is all pre-planned by an elite group of people. That's what I'm talking about. Event 201 that occurred in late 2019, prior to the rest of us knowing about this pandemic. Again, Yeah. yeah. This is very concerning in terms of what has happened, what is happening, uh, what continues to be planned for our loss of freedom. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, it needs to be exposed. But unfortunately, there there are very few people, even in Congress, that are willing to take a look at this. Uh, They they all push the vaccine. Uh, They don't want to be be made aware of the fact that vaccines might have caused injuries, might have caused death. Uh, you know, so, so many people just simply don't want to admit they were wrong and they're going to do everything they can to make sure that. They're not proven wrong. We're, well, we're up against people, a very powerful group of people here, Maria. But unfortunately, you say, what can we do? Well, you know, we do have reporters like yourself, like John Solomon, other people that have the, the courage to report the truth against the mainstream media and against the narrative. But that's the only way this is going to be solved is we need the truth to be exposed. We need more Americans to listen to the truth, to be exposed to the truth, 
to pull their heads out of the sand, quite honestly, open up their eyes and understand what is happening in this country. We are going down a very dangerous path, but as a path is being laid out and planned by an elite group of people that want to take total control over our lives. And that's what they're doing bit by bit. They do it by increasing ma you know, massive government spending, increasing the size of government, uh, takeover of the WHO. These amendments that are coming up uh, that are going to be voted on in 2024 on the WHO are frightening, and they, they really risk taking away all of our sovereignty. Uh, people have to awake, awaken to the dangers of the moment. Uh, thank you to my pal. The storm has arrived for clipping that together. But Ron Johnson basically just said all of the things that the conspiracy theorists were saying. And Maria Bartiromo confirmed a bunch of those things as well. They hid treatments from the American people. The vaccines have side effects, which is the mildest claim you could make. All of this was planned in advance by a group of elites, and now they're doing everything they can to ensure that they are not proven wrong. The problem is they've already been proven wrong, and virtually everyone knows it. Do they still control the means of information? To some extent, yes. Not enough for it to work for them, but enough for them to still keep certain people on the same page. But every day that percentage grows smaller. Again, they wouldn't need the censorship. They wouldn't need the propaganda. They wouldn't need the election fraud. They wouldn't need the false flags. They wouldn't need the ridiculous arguments and appeals to homophobia or racism or sexism. They wouldn't need the gender agenda and all of the various distractions if they could simply make the argument to the American people that their plan was best for everyone. And they certainly wouldn't need to steal elections. If you understand that they're doing all of that, you must understand that they're doing it for a reason. And it's not because they have all the power and all the control and all the people on their side. That is a U.S. senator who is pretty well read into things. He's been leading the charge on multiple issues for the entire time. And he's telling you that a group of elites planned the pandemic and are now trying to cover everything up so no one knows they're wrong. And naturally, the Doomer refrain will still be, yeah, but nothing's gonna happen. Well, hey, Doomer, the fact that a well-respected senator is out on cable news talking about all of this stuff, and people are seeing it, and the public agrees and believes he's right about this stuff. He's not being called a conspiracy theorist by anyone other than the people who wore masks in their car. That that is all happening is proof that the thing is happening. The thing we need to happen is the mass public awakening to all of this so that everybody can play their part in making it better. The only way that happens is for everyone to know and understand what has been done to us and what has been done in our names. Progress along those lines is the only relevant measure of progress, and the progress along those lines is absolutely undeniable and obvious. Three years ago, people like me were being censored and banned from legacy social media for saying all those things. And now a senator is saying them 
on a national cable news network. And if you're really doomy, I know what you're thinking too. You're thinking, yeah, well, now it's too late. The damage has already been done. Of course, they're telling us in the past tense and nothing is going to happen. They're going to do it again and everyone's going to go along with it. But again, that's not true. People can say these things all they want, and you're never going to be able to talk anyone out of these things because that is their opinion. That is an emotional reaction that they then attempt to rationalize, and that is what they are communicating to you. But people won't go along with it again. Almost everyone realizes they've been lied to. Now, there are some spectacularly ignorant people who don't even realize that yet, and then there's a whole bunch who realize it but will never admit it. Most people, though, understand that they have been lied to on just about everything, and they're not going to go along with it anymore. We were told something like 80% of Americans got the first COVID shot. And then last fall, you could find no shortage of headlines about how few people had gone and gotten the bivalent booster. It was something like 4% of America a month in. What does that tell you? You can say, oh, well, it just says people aren't really scared of COVID anymore. Well, the science didn't tell them that they were allowed to do that. They had that thought on their own. They listened to people and understood, oh, maybe COVID's not quite as scary as we were told. Maybe there are some problems with this vaccine. I don't know why I need to keep getting these injections if the pandemic is over. We don't need them to be fully on board with our point of view about COVID. They're not going to go there. They're going to still say that they did the right thing by getting vaccinated, but their behavior tells you what they know. Their behavior tells you they know it's not a good idea to keep injecting yourself with that toxic experimental substance that can't protect you from a disease that can't kill you. Now, to be clear, I don't believe any of these numbers that I'm about to say are accurate, but they are the numbers we are given. And it is pretty likely that the numbers are are all off in the same direction, which would mean the same phenomenon still applies. But if we go from 70 or 80% of Americans getting that first shot to 10% or 15% getting that most recent bivalent booster, and by the way, they're talking about new COVID variants and new boosters coming up this fall. And so we might get to see this operate in real life and pay attention to this phenomenon if it repeats itself. But if we go from, let's say, 75% of Americans on that first shot to 15%, we'll make the math real easy on that bivalent booster, which I think is kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt on both. That's still 60% of Americans realizing that they should not keep getting vaccinated with COVID vaccines. That's them taking responsibility for the decisions on the science, their health and their bodies. And I think that you can make arguments about that progression happening across a whole range of issues. They were denying all sorts of things in 2020 that they are not denying now. They took very strong stances on all of these issues that they now don't support and can't support because they know they were wrong. It doesn't matter if they admit it. It just matters that their positions have changed and they have to experience that over and over again. Joe Biden's corruption, the election fraud, the very violent insurrection, immigration, inflation and the economy, the Ukraine war. They understand now that their prior positions on each of these issues were wrong. They don't have to admit it, 
but their behaviors have changed. Our behaviors, our positions have not changed at all. How does that work? Well, it works because we were right. When the story and the public sentiment moves in our direction continuously about everything, that's what it is for this to all be working. Now, we had another piece of Ron Johnson-related news yesterday. This is from the Daily Mail. Republicans pile pressure on Pentagon to reveal if its research arm investigated DNC email hack in 2016 that was falsely blamed on Russians colluding with Trump. Was the Pentagon's research agency involved in pushing false claims Russians working for Donald Trump hacked the DNC email server in 2016? It's the question two Republican senators are demanding answers to after unearthing a new email showing links between the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, that's DARPA, and computer scientists investigating who was behind the cyber attack that shook the presidential campaign. The latest call for an investigation comes months after special counsel John Durham concluded there was no evidence Trump conspired with Moscow to help him defeat Hillary Clinton in a damning report. Since then, the hunt for those responsible for pushing fabricated stories of Trump's link to the Kremlin to politicians and the press have intensified. The hack led to a leak of emails that were damning for Clinton and the DNC, and some say it contributed to her loss to Trump. Hackers tied to Moscow were initially deemed the perpetrators, but Durham's report sparked allegations DARPA were behind the false narrative. The claims stemmed from DARPA's highly contested work with research partner Georgia Institute of Technology and one of their computer scientists, Dr. Manos Antonakakis. An email obtained by Durham revealed Antonakakis, who was investigating the DNC and RNC databases, said, The only thing that drives us is that we just don't like Trump. DARPA have continuously denied they were behind the allegations Russia was involved in the hack. But Republicans say new email raises fresh questions about their claim and the origins of the now debunked allegations. So another part of the Russiagate slash Spygate narrative falls apart. The DNC hack. It was not Trump in Russia. Was it DARPA? How deep is the deep state? It's so deep. And if you know the meme, then you probably just thought of it. And if you don't know the meme, then never, ever think of it again. It's also worth noting that it sounds like we might be getting a rerun of the Seth Rich story in the near future. We know it's coming sooner or later, but let's get into the Joe Biden of it all. Now, yesterday, the fake president's illegitimate attorney general appointed U.S. attorney in Delaware, David C. Weiss, a special counsel. And the order from the attorney general's office reads as follows. In 2019, U.S. attorney David C. Weiss, along with federal law enforcement partners, began investigating allegations of certain criminal conduct by, among others, Robert Hunter Biden. That investigation includes the investigation and prosecutions referenced and described in United States v. Robert Hunter Biden. By virtue of the authority vested in the attorney general, including 28 U.S. Code Sections 509, 510, 515, and 533, 
in order to discharge my responsibility to provide supervision and management of the Department of Justice and to ensure a full and thorough investigation of certain matters, I hereby order as follows. David C. Weiss, U.S. Attorney for the District of Delaware, is appointed to serve as special counsel for the Department of Justice. And the special counsel is authorized to conduct the ongoing investigation described above, as well as any matters that arose from that investigation or may arise from the special counsel's investigation or that are within the scope of 28 CFR section 600.4A. Now, this is my friend Just Human's special domain, and he began immediately connecting some dots that the people who are freaking out about this special counsel investigation are missing. I'm aware, of course, that the central narrative and the official story from the Uniparty right is that this special counsel appointment is part of an ongoing cover-up effort to protect the Bidens from disclosure, exposure, and potentially accountability. And hey, maybe they're right. We can discuss that. But let's first take a look at this. Just Human points to the conversation from a month ago that centered around whether or not David Weiss had been given the authority to pursue charges against Hunter Biden. He had asserted that Merrick Garland did indeed guarantee him that he would be granted that authority in the future if it proved necessary. He said that specifically in a letter to Lindsey Graham on July 10th. And Just Human notes the rather unavoidable conclusion here that that is exactly what Merrick Garland just did. He granted David Weiss the authority to pursue those sorts of charges. Now, is David Weiss going to do that? There is no way of knowing that. The answer, I would suspect, is probably no. But that would not change the truth value on whether or not David Weiss has been given that authority, which would mean at that level, what these people were complaining about a month ago has proven wrong. And that is what he is pointing out. Now, I don't think that David Weiss is going to bring charges himself because that's not how I see this playing out. I talked about John Durham in the Durham report just yesterday, how Durham did not bring charges and indictments. And I said that I suspect that's because he is just closing this little node of a much larger Rico picture. David Weiss has been investigating Hunter Biden for years, and it's totally plausible to apply the same picture to Weiss as I'm applying to Durham. If Weiss has his little node investigating this Hunter Biden stuff, the corrupt dealings with Russia and Kazakhstan and Romania and Ukraine and China, then maybe that's his node. And then you have special counsel Robert Hur doing all the Biden document stuff. Now, I'm not saying that I can prove this out. This is on some level speculation. I'm just saying I see a pattern emerging and it's worth thinking about. Keep it in the back of your head. See if information springs forth from reality that matches that picture. We will learn more as the process carries forward. It's only been 24 hours since this happened. Hans Mankey posted this reaction on X. Irrespective of what Garland's motivation was for appointing Weiss as special counsel, and there are many indications that this is a cover-up of a cover-up, it's still a marginal net positive for truth. 
A few weeks ago, Hunter was going to skate. Now he's in the media spotlight. And I think it's great that Mankey, who is a bit of a uniparty right villager, is recognizing this dynamic. It's the one I just spoke about. The difference between what the action is in the real world and what you might hope to see. You want a special counsel to go out and arrest Joe and arrest Hunter and prosecute them for two or five or ten years. And then they'll go to jail forever and ever and finally the whole problem will be solved. We nailed those two Bidens and now everything in the world is fixed. Well, no, that's not how it works. That's not how it's going to work. And if it did work that way, that would be the whole thing not working because the project is not to imprison Hunter Biden or Joe Biden. The project isn't even to fully drain the swamp. The project is to get everybody to wake up and understand what's been done to them and what's been done in their name so that everybody joins in in taking responsibility for our society and for their own lives. Now, we're not going to get all the way there. That's not even possible. But we can get really close and we can get to the point where our society is changed in full for the better because people are now conscious of what's going on. That's the hope. And this advances that project. So Mankey and Kyle as well, Just Human, both noted that a few weeks ago, Hunter Biden was just about ready to put this whole situation behind him with this sweetheart plea deal he was given. And it was expected that the judge would approve that plea deal. Hunter would plead guilty to a couple of the tax charges and the diversion agreement on the gun charge. All the fair violations and everything else would go away. We would never even have to talk about it again. All of those Biden problems would just disappear now that Hunter Biden has admitted that maybe he messed up a little bit when paying his taxes. Now the plea deal is off and we have a second special counsel investigating the Bidens. Let's be sure we get the official story. Here it is from NPR. The headline Garland names special counsel in Hunter Biden investigation. Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss, who has been investigating criminal allegations against President Biden's surviving son, Hunter Biden, has been named a special counsel. Attorney General Merrick Garland said Friday, Weiss made the request to be special counsel to Garland on Tuesday of this week. Weiss, a Trump appointee as U.S. attorney who was retained during the Biden administration, has been investigating Hunter Biden since 2019. He reached a tentative plea deal with Hunter Biden, but it collapsed amid scrutiny recently from a Delaware federal judge. The order for appointment for Weiss to serve as special counsel authorizes him to, quote, conduct the ongoing investigation described above, as well as any matters that arose from that investigation or may arise. The order gives Weiss the authority to, quote, prosecute federal crimes in any federal judicial district arising from the investigation of these matters. Attorney General Garland said Weiss requested the special counsel status earlier this week after determining that, quote, in his judgment, his investigation has reached a stage at which he should continue his work as special counsel, and he asked to be so appointed. The scope of the ongoing investigation is not clear, and under Justice Department guidelines, prosecutors do not spell out as yet uncharged allegations. 
but the appointment paperwork for Weiss references two criminal matters against Hunter Biden and says he began probing Biden, among others, several years ago. Toward the end of the article, they include some reactions. A Trump spokesperson said in a statement, if this special counsel is truly independent, even though he failed to bring proper charges after a four-year investigation and he appears to be trying to move the case to a more Democrat-friendly venue, he will quickly conclude that Joe Biden, his troubled son Hunter, and their enablers, including the media, which colluded with the 51 intelligence officials who knowingly misled the public about Hunter's laptop, should face the required consequences. And that Trump spokesperson sounds kind of like Trump, to be honest. Responding to the appointment of the special counsel, James Comer, representative from Kentucky, who chairs the House Oversight Committee, which is investigating the younger Biden, said, let's be clear what today's move is really about. The Biden Justice Department is trying to stonewall congressional oversight as we have presented evidence to the American people about the Biden family's corruption. Senator Dick Durbin, the Democrat from Illinois, who leads the Judiciary Committee, praised the move by Garland as one that would avoid, quote, even the appearance of politicization at the Justice Department. I think we can safely say that ship has sailed. He went on, U.S. Attorney David Weiss is a distinguished prosecutor, and I can trust that the Justice Department's professional nonpartisan approach will carry on as the special counsel continues his investigation. There is some question out there about the legitimacy of this appointment and the process by which this appointment was made. This is the Daily Caller yesterday. Merrick Garland's special counsel appointment may violate DOJ's own rules, legal experts say. And they note former assistant U.S. attorney Andrew McCarthy called the appointment of Weiss a sham on Fox News, saying, the point of having a special counsel is to bring in someone from outside the government who we can trust to do a credible investigation. Benjamin Weingarten of Real Clear Politics and The Federalist asked on X, how can A.G. Merrick Garland tab U.S. Attorney David Weiss to be a special counsel while Weiss retains his position as U.S. Attorney? The law says, quote, the special counsel shall be selected from outside the United States government. They go on with Andrew McCarthy. What makes a special counsel special is that you're a lawyer who's brought in from outside the U.S. government, not just outside the Justice Department, outside the government, he said. This is the Biden Justice Department's vehicle for maintaining control of an investigation that they are not pursuing, he continued. They've had the case for five years. They've never indicted it. They're strategically allowing the statute of limitations to run to the point that the 2014 and 2015 conduct, which covers most of the $21 million that the congressional investigation report showed this week, that's already time barred. Fox News legal analyst and former defense attorney Greg Jarrett tweeted that Garland is, quote, defying federal regulations. So the fix is in, he said. Weiss will continue the obstruction and Biden protection. Tom Fitton of Judicial Watch said Weiss is, quote, ineligible even under DOJ's constitutionally deficient special counsel regulations. Lawyer and former federal prosecutor Bill Shipley tweeted that the attorney general is, quote, not subject to being disciplined for ignoring a regulation. And this regulation being that the special counsel is selected from outside the government. 
He writes, these are created by the agencies themselves, not the Congress. And the regulations provide there is no right created in anyone to force compliance in a court or otherwise with this regulation in the event it is violated. So essentially, Garland can do whatever he wants, and he is at the top of that agency that created the regulation that has no enforcement mechanism against him, which is another way of saying that regulation doesn't mean anything and is likely only enforced when it is being used in a way the regime doesn't like. Now, speaking of that money flowing into the Bidens, this press release came from the House Oversight Committee on Wednesday. Comer releases third bank memo detailing payments to the Bidens from Russia, Kazakhstan and Ukraine. House Committee on Oversight and Accountability Chairman James Comer today released a third bank records memorandum detailing new information obtained in the committee's investigation into the Biden family's influence peddling schemes. The memorandum outlines how the Bidens and their business associates received millions from oligarchs in Russia, Kazakhstan and Ukraine during Joe Biden's vice presidency. After Hunter Biden received millions of dollars in payments, then Vice President Biden dined with his son's foreign associates in Washington, D.C. Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's former business partner, recently testified that then Vice President Joe Biden was, quote, the brand sold to enrich the Biden family and was used to send signals of access, power and influence. Comer's memo notes committee staff is releasing payments from Russia, Kazakhstan and Ukraine that occurred during Joe Biden's vice presidency. The committee has now identified over $20 million in payments from foreign sources to the Biden family and their business associates. Hunter Biden and Devin Archer, used Rosemont Seneca entities to bring in millions from oligarchs in Europe and Asia. In February 2014, a Russian oligarch sent three and a half million dollars to a shell company associated with Hunter Biden and Devin Archer. This is Yelena Batarina. In spring 2014, a Ukrainian oligarch placed Archer and Biden on the Burisma board of directors and agreed to pay them a million dollars each per year. Burisma Holdings Corporate Secretary Vadim Pozarsky worked on behalf of the Ukrainian oligarch and owner of Burisma, Mykola Zlochevsky. Hunter Biden was initially hired by Burisma to work as counsel for the company, and Pozarsky and Zlochevsky met with Hunter Biden at a conference in Lake Como in Italy, where they decided Hunter Biden would work on the board of directors with Devin Archer. Then Vice President Joe Biden visited Ukraine soon after their first payments. Payments from Burisma for both Devin Archer and Hunter Biden were wired to Rosemont Seneca Bohai. Payments were transmitted in incremental amounts to Hunter Biden's different bank accounts. In April 2014, a Kazakhstani oligarch wired the exact price of Biden's sports car to a bank account used by Archer and Biden. And the price on that car was a cool $142,300. Sell out your country for a Porsche? Hey, it's just the Biden way. The memo also notes that Hunter received millions of dollars in payments from Yelena Batarina, Burisma, and Kenis Rakashev. Vice President Biden had dinner with them in the spring of 2014 and 2015 in Washington, D.C. And that's awfully strange for a man who has never discussed his son's business. 
Here is James Comer with Maria Bartiromo. Going to subpoena Hunter Biden. Yeah, this is always going to end with the Bidens uh, coming in front of the committee. Uh, we are going to subpoena the family. I mean, we're putting the case together to win in court. Obviously, with all the opposition and obstruction we're getting from the Biden attorneys now, uh, we know that this is going to end up in court when we subpoena the Biden. So we're putting together a case. And I think we've done that very well. We've shown the bank records. If I had subpoenaed Joe and Hunter Biden the first day I became chairman of the committee, it would have been tied up in court and the judge would have eventually thrown it out. Because at that time, the narrative was, well, they never took any money while he was vice president. He never had any communication with his business associates. And, uh, you know, the, the, the money never came from China. We've had to go every step of the way and prove the media narrative was wrong and the vice president and the, and the current president lied. We have caught Joe Biden in so many lies, I can't even count the number of lies now. So we have put together a case that I think would uh, stand up in any court of law in America, and we hope to hear from the Biden soon. But I wish the media would ask the president, mm -hmm. what exactly did your family do to receive this right. $21 million that the House Oversight Committee has, has proven? He just continues to say, well, that's a lie. That's not true. We have their bank records, Maria. Right. Bank records don't lie. Congressman, when are you expecting to subpoena Joe and Hunter Biden? Well, we want to talk to about three or four more associates first. Uh, we've been communicating with a couple of them. Uh, we're trying to bring them in just like we did Devin Archer for a transcribed interview. Uh, if they don't come in voluntarily, then they'll be subpoenaed. So uh, this is taking a, a lot longer. But if you look at uh, how the special counsel Durham or other special counsels uh, conducted investigations, I think our committee is going a whole lot faster than any other congressional committee in history and any other special counsel. Yeah. This is a complicated case, and we're being obstructed every step of the way by the Department of Justice, by the FBI, by the Secret Service, by the IRS, and by the Biden family attorneys. Wow. But that's not stopping us. We continue to produce evidence about every two weeks. Now, again, the Doomers will always say this is taking too long and nothing's going to happen. And it is totally reasonable to be frustrated. By the way, everybody is frustrated. Everybody wishes all of this could go faster. But the point is not the speed. The point is that the job gets done. The point is that the awakening occurs and everybody realizes that Joe Biden has been a corrupt politician for five decades. He is only in politics for the power and the money. And he does not care about his constituents. He does not care about the country. He is more than happy to sell the power of his office for personal gain. The public needs to know this so that the awakening can occur and that they take responsibility for their decision making. It's not so that Joe Biden can get magically impeached while not even being a real president. Joe Biden is a problem. He is not the problem. He is a symptom of the problem. And since that problem doesn't get cured until the awakening occurs, the awakening is the point. And the awakening does not have a clock. It occurs at the speed at which people wake up. And if you want that to go faster, then you have to participate in the awakening rather than dooming out and saying nothing's happening. Yesterday, NBC News ran this headline. Biden attorneys in talks with federal prosecutors over terms of his interview in classified documents case. So we got news on the David Weiss special counsel and the beginning of that. And this is 
concerning the Robert Hur special counsel. Attorneys for President Joe Biden and the special counsel appointed to investigate his handling of classified documents have been negotiating for about a month over the terms under which he would be interviewed, two people familiar with the matter said. Discussions between Biden's lawyers and special counsel Robert Hur's office are focused on how, when, and where the interview might take place, as well as the scope of the questions these people said. <laughs> these people said, gosh, man, oh, the news. They stress that the negotiations are ongoing and that no agreement has been reached. The article says that for months now, Biden's lawyers have been gaming out various scenarios for an interview with the expectation that he would provide one once his legal team and the special counsel agree on the specifics. Negotiating those conditions includes, in part, settling on whether the interview would be in person and, if so, where it might happen, as well as the range of topics and questions that would be covered, said the people familiar with the negotiations. So some unnamed people somewhere are familiar with these negotiations, but the only news here is that they are ongoing, and apparently we can, at some point, expect some answers directly from Joe Biden, whatever that might mean, because Joe Biden is whatever Joe Biden is at this point. Imagine Joe Biden trying to recall events in detail from 10 years ago. Here's Peter Schweitzer breaking it down yesterday on Sean Hannity. Look, really from the beginning, Joe Biden is the center of all of this. Um, think when Hunter starts this business, Rosemont Seneca, that does the deals in China, that gets him hooked up in Ukraine. He starts it in 2009, just months after his father becomes vice president of the United States. Up until that point, Sean, he had been a lobbyist for entities in Delaware lobbying his own father. So the entire business enterprise was centered around his father's elevation to the vice presidency. And then you look at the deals in China. Those deals get secured days after he shows up in China, where? On Air Force Two with his father. So you cannot separate the Biden businesses from Joe Biden's political position in power. And the notion that he just shows up and shakes hands, and that just leads these foreign nationals to throw money at Hunter is laughable. These foreign nationals are sending money to Joe, to Hunter Biden and the Biden family because they know it's going to give them special access and possible favors with the vice president of the United States. Okay, there have been three memos released by the House uh, Oversight and Accountability Committee, and that's that's James Comer's committee. Um, one thing we are trying to get a handle on is exactly how much money they did in business. Like, for example, the, the Russian oligarch, former first lady of Moscow, Elena Baterina, three and a half million, but also 120 million invested in their real estate ventures. That's a lot. You have talked about the $1.5 billion deal with China. That's not a part of this accounting yet. Uh, Nancy Mace thinks the business is generated north of 50 million. Others on the committee are suggesting north of 100 million. Do we have any idea exactly how much money we are talking about that the Bidens did in business with China and, and Russia, our number one and number two geopolitical foes, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Romania, uh, Mexico, over a dozen countries? Do we have any idea that total number? Uh, we don't yet, Sean, but that number keeps rising. Uh, we believe, uh, based on the laptop, 
they did $31 million in China alone. And you're quite right, that BHR deal, the $1.5 billion private equity fund funded by the Chinese government, Hunter gets an ownership stake valued at about $20 million. That's not included in the count so far. Uh, and when it comes to Russia, you're right, Yelena Baterina wires $3.5 million to Hunter's business. They put $120 million into Rosemont Realty, where Hunter is involved. He's an advisor at that company. But there's also a document in yet another Hunter Biden business called Burnham, where he and Devin Archer say in the corporate minutes, which we have a copy of, that they're handling some $200 million for Yelena Baterina. Um, so we really don't know. And I think the House committee is performing an invaluable service of giving us an accounting for this. I'm not sure we'll ever know the full amount, Sean, because I think there are bank accounts uh, overseas. Uh, we know that one was set up uh, for Hunter in Malta with the help of Burisma. We may never even get access to those financial records, but it's a shocking number, well, well north of $50 million in total. And that clip actually goes on like that for a couple more minutes. You can find that on Twitter, now X, at Kanakoa the Great, K-A-N-E-K-O-A the Great. Now, this week, Donald Trump gave an interview to Newsmax where he talked about Joe Biden being a Manchurian candidate. And Dave from X-22 did a great bit on this the other day. But here's what Donald Trump has to say about Joe Biden. I believe we have a compromised president. I believe he is so petrified of China because they know how much money has been given to him and they know where it is. And I tell you, Jamie Comer's done an incredible job. Jim Jordan, they've done an incredible job. But they found as of today, I think, $32 million that went into his accounts and the various accounts of the family. That's a tremendous amount of money. And nothing was done for it. It was just a bribe. It's just a bribe extortion and a bribe. When you see him talking about the billion dollars for the prosecutor, I'm amazed nothing was ever done. You know, you talk about quid pro quo. That was quid pro quo. Um, but I believe that China has paid them a lot more than that. You look at University of Pennsylvania, you take a look at what's going on over there where China pays millions and millions of dollars at Biden Center. And I guess they pay him a million dollars a year. Or I think they have $999,000 a year. That way you don't have to maybe report because it's under a million. Uh, but I believe we have a compromised person as president. I believe that China has paid him a fortune. I've never seen anybody so weak on China. China is eating our lunch. They're taking over Cuba. They're taking over South America. They're taking over everything. This all happened over the last three years. China and Russia now all of a sudden doing military exercises yeah, yeah. in the Aleutian Islands in yeah, Alaska. Right, that's right. That's it's very uh, dangerous unthinkable. So that just we heard about that two days ago, would have never happened if I were president. That would have never happened. I would have called each one. I said, stop, it's not going to happen. And they would have listened to me 100%. So uh, it's very sad. I think it's the weakest our country has ever been. And I do think we have a Manchurian candidate. This is a president who's a Manchurian candidate. This is a president who's fully compromised. He's so afraid of China. And the reason he's afraid is because I believe they paid him a tremendous amount of money and he doesn't want people to find out about it. So let's go from Biden corruption to the effects of that Biden corruption in the world and the effects of the regime's agenda in the world. Yesterday in Reuters, we have this headline. Ukraine sacks army recruitment chiefs 
an anti-graft shakeup. So one of the most corrupt countries in the world is having a corruption problem, even though these are also the bravest and most important people in the world, these very brave Ukrainians. President Volodymyr Zelensky broadened his battle against graft on Friday, firing all the heads of Ukraine's regional army recruitment centers as the war with Russia enters a critical stage. So Volodymyr Zelensky, the comedic actor in Ukraine, has apparently been waging this ongoing battle against graft. Sure, he is begging the world constantly for more money, despite receiving billions and billions of dollars for a war that Ukraine has no chance of winning. And we are supposed to believe that he has been fighting corruption this whole time. Zelensky said a state investigation into centers across Ukraine had exposed abuses by officials ranging from illegal enrichment to transporting draft eligible men across the border, despite a wartime ban on them leaving the country. He said 112 criminal cases had been opened in a wide ranging probe launched after a graft scandal at a recruitment office in the Odessa region last month. He used harsh rhetoric likely to be welcomed by Ukrainians appalled by cases of wartime corruption. This system should be run by people who know exactly what war is and why cynicism and bribery during war is treason, he said, adding that those fired would be replaced by recent veterans and soldiers wounded at the front. Ukraine has made cracking down on graft a priority as it fends off Russia's full-scale invasion and seeks membership in the European Union and has fired or prosecuted a string of high-ranking officials implicated in sleaze. And this really does sound and read a lot like one of those news articles that may have been written by AI. Friday's move comes at a particularly sensitive moment for Kyiv, with its long-touted counteroffensive hampered by extensive Russian defenses across swaths of the southeast. Zelensky said that any sacked army recruitment officers who are not being investigated should head to the front to fight for Ukraine, quote, if they want to keep their epaulets and prove their dignity. But let me emphasize, the army is not and never will be a substitute for criminal punishment. Officials who confused epaulets with perks will definitely face trial, he said in a statement. And you have to love the phrasing there. The counteroffensive, the long-touted counteroffensive, has been hampered by Russia's defenses. That is a very, very elaborate way of saying Ukraine's not getting the job done. Now, what's become widely known, and it's something we've talked about countless times, there are a few reasons for this Russia-Ukraine conflict that are almost never talked about by our mainstream media. The regime does not want the general public to understand that there is any real legitimate motivation for this conflict beyond Vladimir Putin is a terrible guy and he just wanted to invade Ukraine because he is trying to recreate the Soviet Union. Putin wants to march through and dominate Europe. And of course, there is absolutely no reason to believe that is true. But one of Putin's stated motivations for this conflict with Ukraine is that he wants to put an end to the ethnic civil war that has been raging in Ukraine for about nine years now, following the overthrow of Ukraine's government led by none other 
then Vice President at the time, Joe Biden, and current Undersecretary of State, Victoria Nuland. Now, just for a refresher, Donald Trump put out this statement about Victoria Nuland back in February of this year. World War III has never been closer than it is right now. We need to clean house of all of the warmongers and America last globalists in the deep state, the Pentagon, the State Department, and the national security industrial complex. One of the reasons I was the only president in generations who didn't start a war is that I was the only president who rejected the catastrophic advice of many of Washington's generals, bureaucrats, and the so-called diplomats who only know how to get us into conflict, but they don't know how to get us out. For decades, we've had the very same people, such as Victoria Nuland and many others just like her, obsessed with pushing Ukraine toward NATO, not to mention the State Department support for uprisings in Ukraine. These people have been seeking confrontation for a long time, much like the case in Iraq and other parts of the world. And now we're teetering on the brink of World War III. And a lot of people don't see it, but I see it. And I've been right about a lot of things. They all say Trump's been right about everything. None of this excuses in any way the outrageous and horrible invasion of Ukraine one year ago which would have never happened if I was your president. So Victoria Nuland is directly responsible for what is taking place in Ukraine, and she is in the news this week in other parts of the world as well. This is NBC from Tuesday this week. Niger coup leaders refuse to let senior U.S. diplomat meet with the nation's president. A senior U.S. diplomat said coup leaders in Niger refused to allow her to meet Monday with the West African country's democratically elected president, whom she described as under, quote, virtual house arrest. Acting Deputy Secretary of State Victoria Nuland also described the mutinous officers as unreceptive to U.S. pressure to return the country to civilian rule. Now, you have to remember, from their perspective, this is a coup. The leader who was, quote unquote, elected in our democracy in Niger has been removed by the military. Victoria Newland is over there to meet with this global regime asset. They were quite firm about how they want to proceed, and it is not in support of the constitution of Niger. Newland told reporters she characterized the conversations as, quote, extremely frank and at times quite difficult. She spoke after a two-hour meeting in Niger's capital, Niamey, with some leaders of the military takeover of a country that has been a vital counterterrorism partner of the United States. In speaking to junta leaders, Newland said she made, quote, absolutely clear the kinds of support that we will legally have to cut off if democracy is not restored. So she threatened the, quote unquote, coup leaders that the U.S. would take their ball of foreign aid and go home. If the U.S. determines that a democratically elected government has been toppled by unconstitutional means, federal law requires a cutoff of most American assistance, particularly military aid. And I can't wait to see that principle boomerang. All that has to happen to end foreign aid to a country is to prove that the government was not 
democratically elected? Gosh, how many places will that eventually describe? She also stressed U.S. concern for the welfare of President Mohammed Bazoum, who she said was being detained with his wife and son. Further on in the article, NBC notes, Meanwhile, the junta's mutinous soldiers closed the country's airspace and accused foreign powers of preparing an attack. State television reported the junta's latest action Sunday night, hours before the deadline set by ECOWAS, which has warned of using military force if Bazoum is not returned to power. A spokesman for the coup leaders, Colonel Major Amadou Abdramane, noted, quote, the threat of intervention being prepared in a neighboring country and said Niger's airspace will be closed until further notice. Any attempt to fly over the country will be met with, quote, an energetic and immediate response. The junta also claimed that two Central African countries were preparing for an invasion, but did not name them. It called on Niger's population to defend the nation. Kind of sounds like this junta, this coup, might have the people on its side, does it not? And this NBC News article is funny because they have a picture here with the caption, Mohammed Toumba, one of the leading figures of the junta, at a rally of coup supporters in Niamey. And it is an absolutely packed stadium. There are thousands and thousands of people in attendance. How is it that a coup has overthrown our democracy and all of the people are on the side of the coup? And of course, the logical next step is to apply that in this country. Why is it that Donald Trump can consistently draw 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, sometimes 50,000 people to a rally while Joe Biden, who got the most votes of anyone ever in American history, had events in 2020 where no one showed up. Oh, yeah, it was the very, very deadly pandemic. Are we really supposed to believe that the people are on Joe Biden's side? And consider the global state propaganda media. What would they have called it if Donald Trump had remained in power, even with all the evidence of the regime corruption and the deep state and the election fraud and everything else? They still would have called it a coup. They still would have said he was overthrowing our democracy. They would have tried to start a civil war. And they would still to this day be pretending that Joe Biden was the legitimate president. A different route was chosen. Those rather dramatic possibilities were avoided. It has been a difficult and frustrating time for the country, but the project seems to be working quite well. It is always worth noting that when we see these small countries throw out the global regime, as we've seen in countries like Myanmar and Burkina Faso, Burkina Faso, by the way, is allied with this junta in Niger. The fact that these countries can hold on to this situation is proof of the global regime's weakness worldwide. If the global regime was as powerful as the Doomers pretend, they would not be losing these small countries. The point is for a one world government, which means all the countries are included in that. They wouldn't be losing countries at this point. And the truth is they're also losing their strongholds. They're losing one now in Ukraine to Russia. And it will soon be obvious that they have lost their stronghold in Taiwan to China. 
the quote unquote junta in Niger doesn't seem to be too scared of the global regime. The Associated Press this week reported that representatives of the junta told U.S. Undersecretary of State Victoria Newland of the threat to Bazoum. They threatened to kill the deposed president if the neighboring countries attempted any military intervention. They told Newland this during her visit to the country. A Western military official said, speaking on condition of anonymity because of the sensitivity of the situation. So the idea here is, hey, United States, hey, global regime, if you try to trigger any military intervention from our neighboring African countries, we are going to kill this deposed president. And in response for the U.S. aid to be taken away, that threat from Newland, the junta has apparently said, we don't want your money. Use it to fund a weight loss program for Newland. Now, he also had this story this week, and the speculation is that Victoria Newland is directly involved in this as well. This is from the National Pulse leaked documents, U.S. backed Pakistan coup over prime minister's Ukraine neutrality. The former prime minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, was forced out of office at the behest of U.S. Department of State over his refusal to take sides in the Russia-Ukraine conflict, alleges a leaked diplomatic cable. Assad Majid Khan, Pakistan's ambassador to the United States, was encouraged by State Department officials, including Assistant Secretary Donald Liu, to tell Pakistan's politically powerful military that if Prime Minister Khan were removed from power, the Central Asian nation could expect warmer relations with the United States. If Prime Minister Khan were not removed, Pakistan's generals were told that the nation would face economic and political isolation. The foreign policy shakedown is not dissimilar to the tactic deployed by President Biden himself when discussing the removal of a top Ukrainian prosecutor. According to a leaked cable, Assistant Secretary Liu told the Pakistani ambassador, I think if the no confidence vote against the prime minister succeeds, all will be forgiven in Washington because the Russia visit is being looked at as a decision by the prime minister. Otherwise, I think it will be tough going ahead. The meeting between Assistant Secretary Liu and the Pakistani ambassador occurred on March 7th, 2022. One month later, Pakistan's parliament held a no-confidence vote against Prime Minister Khan, and he was removed from office. On August 5th, 2022, Khan was sentenced to three years in prison on charges of corruption. The U.S. Department of State's move against the Pakistani leader came after Liu indicated in March 2nd, 2022 testimony that Pakistan may be moving towards Russia's side in the conflict with Ukraine. Prime Minister Khan, meanwhile, had reiterated his firm stance against taking any side in the conflict raging in Eastern Europe, declaring at a rally of his supporters just days before the March 7th State Department meeting, what do you think of us, that we are your slaves and that we will do whatever you ask of us? We are friends of Russia and we are also friends of the United States. We are friends of China and Europe. We are not part of any alliance. Pakistan is a nuclear power whose internal tensions between civilian and military government make its political stability of particular concern to neighboring nuclear power India, as well as the United States. So the global regime hates coups. Victoria Newland hates coups, except that one in Ukraine 
and I guess maybe this one in Pakistan, but she definitely hates coups in the other direction, which truthfully is the only way to have a coup. See, when you're on the side of the regime, when you are speaking from the regime perspective, well, then it's not possible for you to actually stage a coup. You are just implementing our democracy in other countries. That's the mission. That's what they are supposed to do. They are supposed to spread our democracy around the world. Every country wants our democracy around the world. That's what we've always been told. The U.S. has the best version of our democracy. And because it's so great, that means that we have to spread it. It's not fair to deprive other people from other countries of participating in our democracy, our global democracy, whether they want it or not. Either way, it's a gift and they have to accept it. And if they don't accept it, if they ever try to get rid of our gift to them, well, then we're going to have to intervene militarily. It's not a coup. It's simply regime change. A coup only happens when the bad guys are trying to decouple, let's say, from our global democracy. Now, the regime's point of view always made sense to a great many Americans, including probably many of the people listening to the show and certainly to me many years ago. But it doesn't now. And like everything else, everyone is seeing it. Have we thrown the regime out yet? Have we completed the regime change? No, but the regime is changing. Now, I am going to be spending some rather significant time with family that I haven't seen in a while. Over the first half of this coming week, I'm going to try to get some episodes out, but I can't promise anything. I will be on Devolution Power Hour tonight, and I will be doing Badland Story Hour on Tuesday. I will do my best to get up episodes of this show but all of that is a bit more time and research intensive, and I'm going to have a lot of my time taken up doing fun family stuff. So I may not have another episode up until Wednesday and possibly Thursday, but I will be back soon at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range.
In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!